Knock, knock. Who's there? It is the Has Been Hoops podcast after a little hiatus. Uh, a fair bit's been going on in our worlds. Uh, Chris, mate, I know you've hang had on, the Hang on, hang on, no, no, no. We're, we're not starting with me. We're starting with you. Okay. Mate, you got married. We got <laughs> yes, to share your non-honeymoon. We, we got to share your, non, no, your non-honeymoon with you. Yep. Congratulations officially for everyone to hear. Uh, thanks, mate. No, I appreciate it. It was a great day. And uh, obviously having you stand beside me uh, was awesome as well. And then we got to spend some time both before the wedding and after the wedding. And uh, the Dunsborough Tavern got hit up a fair bit as well, as as did every other brewery and winery in the southwest region. But uh, it, was a, it was a great couple of weeks for us. And, uh, mate, really happy that you uh, you and Kendall and Guru got to come over and spend it with us. It was uh, it was amazing, and uh, tried to convince you that it was my fiftieth birthday while we we're over there, but it probably took you all the three seconds to realise it was my forty ninth. I was going, I was trying to make you feel a little bit guilty. Yeah, that one didn't go too. I made beautiful part of the world. I, I've never been down there outside a practice game, but mate, I know you know this. Jeez, if anyone's listening, oh, the, the clarity of the water, the beaches, Bunker Bay, were though it was. Oh, just incredible. Yeah, unreal. Um, what, what a place. But uh, we're not here to talk about holiday destinations. We're, we're here to start with the NBL. Um, I'm not sure, and I don't like starting on a negative, and we've had a, a few weeks of notes, but the, the thing we were going to start with before the new year and after watching the game last night, the thing we have to start with right now is the Southeast Melbourne Phoenix. Yeah, right. Oh. They have fallen into a hole. A massive hole, and unfortunately, it's off the back of injuries again, and the inability to have availability on the basketball court. No, Alan Williams, obviously Craig Moller is out. We've just got Gary Brown returning from injury. Um, oh, they, and they looked terrible last night. They they were bad. They were very very bad last night versus Adelaide, and Adelaide put them to the sword early, and. Um, the Phoenix were never in with a sniff last night. Well, well, the other thing is, and you talk about the way injuries are managed at the Phoenix, which clearly isn't good, but at, at what stage, knowing that they can't get a team on the floor, and of course knowing that they don't have the availability to recruit everyone in the world, but they bring in Abdul Nadar, who's coming off being out of the game for two years and not having played a game because of injury. So... On top of that, you bring in an injured guy to join an injured team who's already missed games. There, this, uh, there, there needs to be something change at the Phoenix and it has to do with getting players who can get onto the court. You, we, we can't always blame the coach. There's going to be a lot of fingers pointed at Mike Kelly already, like there were Simon Mitchell. But I reckon the fingers got to point somewhere else because it hasn't been fair on the coaches not having a team that they can put on the floor to give them the ability to care. Now, some of it has to go to the coaches, but not as much as people think, in my opinion. I, I agree with you. And, um, I mean, you know and I know exactly who we think the blame should be put on. Um, it's funny. There's been not many people that aren't the head coach and not players that have had their name brought up in discussions about they're the issue. Um, earlier this season, I think Danny Mills copped a lot of heat for his um, roster that he put together at the Wildcats, but their fortunes have definitely changed. And Danny Mills's uh, name has been left, has exited the chat. Um, as is John Rilly's could, as a result. Correct. But John Rilly's a head coach. I mean, coaches and players are always the first one to get highlighted as the issue. Uh, in the last probably five years, um, we can talk about what happened in Brisbane last year and what was going on in Brisbane. Um, we heard Danny Mills 
and Eric Hollingsworth. They're probably the th three people that we've heard about in the last couple of years that have uh, caused concerns. Um, and as a high-performance coach, I know we can rant and rave about it. Most of the viewers and listeners probably don't even know, but that is a huge issue for the Phoenix going forward that needs to be addressed. While we're on the Phoenix, and, and, and let's not stick on them any longer after this, but the note we'd written down before Alan Williams got injured, there's been a lot of All-Star 5 hype with Alan Williams. There's been a lot of talk about him even being a potential MVP candidate. Oh, I, I don't see it, and I don't think he has the style of game that's conducive to team success. Um, I've... Passing doesn't consider doesn't pass through his mind when he catches the ball in the paint. Jeez, he throws up some rubbish, and I've watched time and time again. And sure, he makes his shots in the paint, and sure, his numbers look okay. But I watch guards stand around the three point one wide open when he's forcing up a shot against one, two, three defenders. And again, sometimes they go in, but. I tell you what, if I'm an opposition, and I've heard it from a few people around the league, they're very, very happy for Alan Williams to take those shots because that means he stays on the floor and that means they attack him defensively and he is a huge concern on the defensive end. And you see a game like last night when they played Adelaide and clearly it's not only him. It's become a group thing, but how much trickles down because they've struggled so much with their the, the centre of that thing struggling over the course of the year. So I suppose, you know, I've watched closely since we've written this down and since we started talking about it. But, yeah, look, I, I mm. don't have him in that all-star five conversation, <clears throat> let alone MVP. Mate, I sat courtside watching the Phoenix play the Wildcats last week and it was a great uh, – Watching Bryce Cotton and uh, Mitch Creek go to absolute work uh, last week. Um, so the Phoenix game plan was to play Alan Williams on Ty Webster and sit him in the keyway so he didn't have to move. Not only did Ty Webster knock down shots, he also dribbled straight past him for a couple of layups as well. Now, you're a person that has written books uh, before, written a book before. Book. So you uh, written a book before. So you... You, you've used a dictionary. I dare you to go into the dictionary and look up the word liability. And if you looked up the definition of liability, you'd see Alan Williams' defense. That is an absolute liability to the Phoenix and what they're going to do. And you're right. It's not conducive to winning basketball. Uh, I think he's a fantastic guy. I reckon he, he'd be well, a ripper. I agree of a team, 100%. But as far as uh, someone that you can trust, to help defend on the basketball court, I don't think he brings that. And it started early in that Wildcats game. He plays low in the drops because everyone blows by him. So Bryce Cotton got his shot off early. And then later on in the game, they try to put him onto Ty Webster and Ty Webster goes for 20 points in a game. That tells you everything you need to know about Alan Williams' defense. While we're on that all-star first team theme, uh, we had a conversation a little bit ago. You've had some time to think about it. You're working today without notes. Um, the, the the five that you picked as your all-star five, I'm going to ask you if you stand by it. Miller, Cotton, Golding, Adams and Creek. Is that still um, who you have as your all-star five if the season ended today? If the season ended today... I think Sobe is starting to make a run for that all-star five. I think he's been really good over the last couple of games um, uh, where he sits and you probably look at uh, so Miller. So he takes Miller out of that. There. Yeah. Yep. Um, but besides that, I'm still pretty happy with what's going on. I mean, I'd like to see if the form continues, I think – no, I don't think he'd still be in consideration for first team, but I, I really like the uh, how Isaac Humphreys has gone about his business in the last couple of weeks uh, and Sam Froling as well. Those are the two people that have definitely uh, taken a step up and later as the season's progressed. I had um, Bryce Cotton, Chris Golding. I had Doyle in there from Tasmania. Uh, from Tasmania. I just think he's been 
exceptional in what he's done and he's the the glue behind them winning. He's their go-to guy when it really matters. I had Mitch Creek as well. I had JLA and, you know, JLA is missing for personal reasons at the moment. But, um, you know, whether or not you tell me I can pick bigs or guards or it's non-positional, I'm still going to pick one. I think he's been the best centre in the league. I agree with you that Sam Froling's had an exceptional year and as a conversational Eurostep, I couldn't be more excited that we announced him as our Taranaki Airs, as one of our Taranaki Airs imports during the week. That <coughs> excites me no end. But um, the other one that, that's really worth mentioning I think has been really, really good coming back from injury has been Will Magnane. And Absolutely. He was, clearly on a minutes, he was clearly on a minutes restriction. He was averaging 10 and 8 in 17 minutes a game. Extrapolate that out. There's a word for the dictionary from you. For, for you, extrapolate <laughs> that out over 30, 35 minutes in a game. He becomes, if he hadn't been injured, well, let's just call him one of the best centres when fit in the NBL. But I've really enjoyed watching him come back from injury as well. No, I couldn't uh, agree more with Will Magno. I think he's been great uh, since he's come back. And I, I sort of had wished that. Uh, there wasn't minutes restrictions. I saw him in Perth. Like he, he is fantastic. He does such a great job, and any team would be lucky to have someone like that uh, protecting the rim because rim protectors are invaluable, as far as I'm concerned. Concerned. So, so let's let's just tick off a couple of teams that have been, well, I suppose, noticeable. We've noticed because you know, as a, as a result of their results, um, I think the biggest one has to be Illawarra. Um, what I was going to say when Jason Tatum took over, um, what's his actual, what's his first name? Justin, Justin, Justin. When Justin Tatum took over, uh, they were two and seven. Uh, they've gone seven and three since he took over and find themselves sitting when I last looked in the top four. They might be fifth, they're all equal, let's call them equal, but equal third through sixth. I watched the first game that he coached and they, they were close and they were competitive and they sat in a 2-3 zone almost every minute of that first game and it's it's become a bit of a calling card. That, that zone defence of theirs is either extraordinarily successful or it balls other teams to death. I'm not quite sure which one yet, but Illawarra would have been the absolute top of the list for me, and we'll get to Brian Gorgian in a minute, but for any for, for a team looking for a head coach to turn their fortunes around, I'd probably now be surprised if they didn't go with Justin Tatum and extend his contract. How, how have you seen that whole turnaround in his performance as a coach? Well, take away from the 7-3 and three since taking over, I think he was always going to be the head coach next year because of his relationship with the owner, um, but he's done a fantastic job. And one thing, you talk about the 2-3 zone, I remember Gordy McLeod coaching me up in Cairns and he'd always say that a 2-3 zone is a carnival 2-3 zone because it's a, it's a bit of a show for what they can't do. But what they've been able to do is throw the rhythm off. They do have a few guys in that team that are got long, they've got long defenders, whether that's Gary Clark, whether that's, Wani Swaka, if it's uh, Todd Blanchfield when he comes on, the young kid, AJ Johnson. I think what the biggest turnaround has been their confidence. Um, the second thing I've noticed is Illawarra was always just a sh- shooting team. They would, they would shoot and if they shot poorly, they had no chance. Now Sam is getting paint touches on a regular basis. And not only is Sam scoring, but Sam can pass out of it, which is exciting once again for Taranaki. Um, But the ability of playing through the post has been lost throughout the years. And it's been nice to see that Illawarra has adopted that theory and method and it's worked to great success to this point. Adelaide have gone and won three in a row. They were dead and buried as far as the season was was going. Uh, not only did they beat the Phoenix last night, they absolutely murdered them. Uh, they beat the they beat Melbourne United, and you don't just turn up and beat Melbourne United. We'll talk about them in a minute. 
are they, is it too late for them to make a run at a playing spot? You know, we'd written them off. I'd, I'd probably still have the, they still sit last. But when you turn around and you look at the ladder, um, you know they. Well, let me have a quick look. They've, they've got fourteen losses, so they're going to need to win a bunch more. You might not need to get to five hundred to make the play-in, but they probably need to win six or seven in a row. Surely it's too late for them with fourteen losses to really. Give I it think. A as a, but I'll tell you what. But it's impressive what they've done. It has been impressive. Once again, Scott Ninnis is putting up his hand uh, to coach that team next year. But um, once again, I think it goes to a confidence thing. The players seem to be playing a little bit more freer. They had, uh, I forget how many points they had at halftime, but it was more than what they scored. Something. And they scored, what, 57 on Christmas Day or, or or Boxing Day, um, not that long so, ago. So, so once again, confidence is key uh, for any sporting organisation and Adelaide uh, are playing with a lot of confidence at the moment. But, but here's the thing, right? So many clubs will hire a head coach based on their resume and what they've done and who they've been an assistant coach to and they'll assume that they've picked up a lot of information and you know, from those coaches, but just to use Justin Tatum as an example, he seems to be a leader of men. He seems to be liked. I still think any head coach, that's such a big part of it in any sport. And then whatever you're not great at, and I'll go back to Gorge, when when I was playing for him right at the start, he would always say, I'm horrible at some things. I'm not great at X's and O's, but guess what? Ian Stacker was great at X's and O's, and he was an assistant coach. Bill Nelson was great at other things. He's an Olympic swim coach. He'd be around for culture right at the start. So a good head coach can manage athletes and surround him or herself with people who excel in areas that they don't. They don't profess to know everything. I think that's what you've got with Justin Tatum. And I think, you know, Scott Ninnis, I'm actually rap for because not many coaches coach a team, get fired, and come back to coach again, let alone the same club, and he's a legend of the club. The great thing is I don't think Scott Ninnis feels like he has to prove that he can coach. He probably doesn't care, which is exactly what probably yep. makes him a really good coach for that club right now. And and they're boring. <laughs> I um, think for both of those guys, just a second, I think for both those guys, liked as being one thing, what you respected. can tell from the players is they're respected. Uh, uh, the imports of definitely respect Justin Tatum, the way that they speak about the group and what he's done since taking over. I think for the guys in Adelaide, they respect Scotty Ninnis for what he's done uh, and how he's gone about his business since taking over. Uh, there seems to be a lot of respect, which I think is also a key ingredient in all of this. I'm going to mention briefly because I can. Another, well, other uh, Taranakiers import signing we announced just before Christmas was Mitch McCarran. The A couple of days before CJ Bruton got fired, there was a, a leaked video that came from Adelaide, the Adelaide 36ers practice session where Mitch McCarran pulled them in. No, he, he must have, it must have been after he got fired because Scotty Ninnis was there as a head coach. So it was just after he got fired. And McCarran let rip. And he talked about throwing people under the bus. He talked about digging in and playing defense, stop whinging and moaning. Do, do A, do you remember the video mm-hmm. and the incident? B, what were your thoughts? Um, I do remember the video and I thought at the time that's probably what needed to be said to the team, <laughs> um, uh, especially when there's a changing of coaches Um Maka was coming under all sorts of scrutiny at that time as well as a player and the owner had come out and said, you know, we need to play him less and some of our other guys more. Um, So for him to stand up in that moment, it was a little bit old school uh, and I think we like a little bit old school and, and, you know, he didn't skirt around what the obvious uh, problems were in Adelaide uh, and since that's happened you can see that the whole demeanour 
has changed within the 36ers. So I liked it, uh, I respected it, and I think, if nothing else, the teammates of Maka would have respected him for doing what he's done and the sacrifice that he's had as well in his role um, since Ninnis has taken over. The Brisbane Bullets have won four in a row. Another team that was struggling significantly. They signed Casey Prather. They brought him in. He hasn't really impacted the team much at this stage. Uh, But again, a a team that's making a run at a playing spot. And again, it just highlights one more time how even this league is. But as I look at the ladder now, Melbourne and Perth are on top as we record this. And this this might take a couple of days to go up. Our producer, Jed, is flat out at the Australian Open Third, fourth, and fifth, they're all 11 and 11. Uh, and Brisbane sit in fifth. Illawarra are half a game behind at 9 and 10. Cairns are another half game behind at 10 and 12. It, it quite literally, if any team goes on a run like Brisbane have done and continue it, they're right back in the mix again. Have you seen Brisbane? They've been good. They've been really good. Um I feel like this is the first Brisbane team in years that we know what we're going to get from Brisbane. Uh, that we've got some consistency from him, and that's a credit to Justin Schuler and what he's been able to uh, create up there. Um, I always work off a base. If your team has solid defenders, you're going to give yourself a chance. And between Mitch Norton, Sam McDaniels, uh, plus having rim protection from Harrison, Rocco, um, there's a recipe for success there with that team um, on the defensive blueprint. Nathan Sobey, as I said earlier, has been playing at a really high level. Um, still takes some pretty outlandish shots from time to time, which aren't my cup of tea, but hey, I now consider myself old, so it doesn't fucking matter. Um, and I'm going to be commentating the game tomorrow night Brisbane versus Perth, with no Christian Doolittle, this is a really important game for Brisbane. If they're able to steal a game in Perth, I think this locks them in for a finals berth. So a lot will ride on tomorrow night's game uh, in in Perth, and uh, I'm looking forward to watching them live. I'm looking forward to watching Rocco live, if I'm totally honest. I, I can't wait to see him up close and know that he's one of the few guys that has instant impact with a dunk, a block shot, or changing someone's shot in the first two minutes he's on the court. He's awesome to watch. The last team I want to speak about is Melbourne United, and we've, we've commented it's probably a little bit dated, but I, I think it holds true. They've got a defensive gear that other teams in the NBL don't. They've got depth that other teams in the NBL don't. And regardless of their life, and I watched their game. I was over in New Zealand. It was great fun. And again, I'll mention the Taranaki airs, but uh, our stadium hosted the Breakers versus United game. And it was a hell of a contest. Uh, New Zealand led almost all game. and Should have won. No, Should have won. No, JLA, no JLO, JLA, no Shea, who... I think we need to touch on Shay. You got a little clip at the end of the Adelaide game, I believe. Prior to that, it wasn't much at all. And he's out with concussion protocols again. And I, he's at that stage now where I fear for him, especially the way he plays. And there may, if it is to be the case, sadly have to be a decision made. Um, just like Maddie Knight, and I think there's a really genuine conversation he had with Shea with so many concussions that he's got a beautiful young family and he wants to make sure that he's as healthy, healthy, healthy as he can be in 10, 15, 20 years' time. And, um, so I hope that they make the right choice. I hope that he's okay. But whatever he is, I hope they make the right choice long-term, not short-term. And I'm sure they will, by the way. Um, but I got to thinking about United and there's a there's a quote that I read or not that I read that I've been listening to a lot in regards to the NBA and it's there's a term of fluctuating rhythm and it relates to excessive rotations in the NBA and you hear so many NBA coaches and players talking about how difficult it is to perform when there's fluctuating rhythm um, a of 
an individual player and be of rotations, not having blocks of minutes to set a defender up or to set a team up to beat them later on because there's always players coming in out of the games. You've already said we're old and we're old school. I know that when I played, the first quarter was all about setting other teams up and setting defenders up so we could get our counters, we could get our little backdoors, we could get our cheapies. To, for me to play in today's game, the way that many coaches rotate through players and the challenge I think Dean Vickerman has is to allow his players to find a rhythm where they're playing at capacity to be able to then win a championship. It's going to be a really that, – that's United's biggest challenge leading into the playoffs. I think they're the best team in it. It's, it's going to be interesting to see if Dean Vickerman chooses to narrow his rotations if he's got a fully fit roster. I think their biggest obstacle will be health. We already talked about Shea. We know that JLA is out for personal reasons. Uh, Luke Travis has been injured at times. Matthew Delvedova has been injured at times. Um, having a if their squad is fit and healthy, I don't think anyone is close to them this season. But, but do they? But um, do they need to be fit and healthy? Because if they lose any two players, really, they, they they shorten their rotations, and you might even find they're just as effective. Well, I think they've got the best coverage out of any team in the NBL as 100%. far as. Back, you could throw in their, their second five versus their starting five and I think it would be very competitive in everything that they do. Um, uh, rotations is one of those things. I just think it's something that we've witnessed over the last probably six to eight years, noticing that teams uh, want to use more players, thinking that, you know, if I output energy for two or three minutes and then I get the next guy to tag in and do the same thing. Um, but you're right. As far as a player goes, it would suck to play. We, we might have played for another 10 more years each if that was the rotations while we were playing. But um, the fact of the matter is, is a lot of teams are going that way. We've seen a shortened ro- roster rotation for the Wildcats has been successful for their turnaround this season. Um, I would think that it is a fine line of determining what that rotation looks like come finals and working your way towards it because you also want to have guys there in case of emergency that are able to step in and be able to play a la a Corey Webster, for example. Um, the only reason I see him playing if Perth is struggling offensively at the moment, that's the only reason that he gets in. Um, will he have the same confidence come finals if called upon? I'm not sure he will at the moment. I think the bigger, one of the biggest reasons, and I think coaches feel it and they feel it with all of the additional jobs around the basketball club, is that young basketball players don't deal with not playing minutes nearly as well as what we did either. And there's pressure on coaches for the players mental health for their concentration, uh, for their levels of engagement to make sure that they find minutes. I mean, again, old school, but that's just got to be something where a young player comes in and works and when they reach a level that they're good enough to deserve minutes in their own right, they get them. But I still see that being a part of that as well, the pressure on the coaches to play all their, you know, play through their entire their, their entire roster. Um, hey, I agree with that. A team that is struggling, and I said Melbourne, I'm going to be the last team, but the Sydney Kings, um, they look like they're cruising. It's a hard watch on on paper. For me, they're the second best team in the league and the second deepest team in the league. But, you know, let's give a little bit of uh, love to, uh, ironically, to Trent Love, who's one of our our listeners and actually came and set up shop and worked for an afternoon at Hotel Trentham last week, which was great. So, g'day, Trent, if you're listening. Um, He thought he was thinking along the lines of heads have to roll. And apparently the DJ of the game, uh, one of their most recent games, I can't recall who it was, but it was a loss that they shouldn't have lost. Uh, was playing a heads will roll soundtrack in the last 30 seconds of the game, which probably isn't appropriate 
Um, but you can sense the level of frustration. And at the same time, we, we might also get a sense of while he wasn't everyone's cup of tea, Sydney's last head coach may very well have been a better coach than what a lot of people gave him credit for. I think we have looked at the Sydney Kings with unrealistic expectations for the turnover really? that they've had. Yeah. So turnover so, of roster you've got is the biggest reason. Oh well, I think head coach is one. I think Chase Buford coached really well in the NBL, regardless if you liked him or not. I liked him. I thought he was a great coach. Correct me if I'm wrong, but he had a high level of turnover between his first and second championship as well. Well, he, he had staples, though. He had an MVP in Xavier Cooks that was there. So you, you're automatically taking an MVP out. Yes, you've brought back an MVP in Jalen Adams, uh, but you've lost Xavier Cooks, which has been a big piece. Uh, DJ Vasiljevic, I think, was a, a great piece for them as well. It allowed him to be the third or fourth option any night on a team. And if you've got DJ as a third or fourth option as a team, you're doing really well. Tim Suarez was really good. They had uh, defensive uh, Justin Simon. They had a, a, like a set defender in Justin Simon that knew but, but his not role both, really but not well both as far years, as... But not both years, right? No, but they still so, had so a coach was... with a DNA. What is the DNA? What is the DNA of the Sydney Kings? This is what I'm well, getting but, at. But that, this, is my question. Everyone... this is my question, though. Is it is a player turnover or is it the coach? I think it's both, which equals unrealistic expectations for anyone saying, yes, the Sydney Kings have won two championships in a row, but by no means should they be champions, championship favourites this season with the turnover that they've had in the head coach and with the players that they've had. They've lost talent. I think they're a talented team but I don't think they're as talented as last year's team. Or do you think they're more talented than last year's team? No, I don't, no, I don't think they're more talented. The interesting part for me is that Sydney two years ago saw fit to not bring Jalen Adams back for whatever reason, that, you know, and clearly he was MVP of the league, so it wasn't an on-court reason. Mm -hmm. But when they couldn't quite get the roster they wanted, they found it okay to overlook the off-court reasons. And let's assume for a second it wasn't budgetary that he hadn't overpriced himself. But they've brought back someone knowing that underlying problems existed and being okay with it a second time around. It's, it's a tough one. Again, a little bit like the Phoenix, the recruitment, well, maybe it looks better on paper than, a, you know, than some of all parts. I will throw this out there that I reckon that Drill Martin played a huge influence on... Jalen Adams, the first time he was in Australia, he was a calming influence for Jalen Adams. I'm not sure who the calming influence for Jalen Adams is now. Jalen Adams wasn't going out every night because he was hanging out with Jarrell Martin at his house playing video games and doing whatever. I don't, I don't know the answer to this, but I wonder who Jalen Adams is hanging out with now. This is not a knock on Jalen Adams' play, by the way, um, but it could, you know, for whatever reason, lead into the team sees him doing stuff and they think that it's acceptable. They also had Jonah Bolden, who's been out for a couple of years. Right. It's another part of the player turnover. I, I just think there's too many obstacles there for them to be realistic championship favourites this season? I certainly don't think they're championship favourites. But tell me, as, as we go through this list, tell me if they're, if they're teams that are capable of winning a championship. Melbourne, clearly, yes. Yes. Perth capable of winning it? Yes. Tasmania? Yes. Sydney? No. Is that it? Brisbane, Illawarra, Cairns, no, Phoenix, no. New Zealand, Adelaide. Yeah, all no for the rest of me. But, Melbourne, Perth, um, Tasmania. They're the three for me. I, I'm still naive enough to think if Sydney somehow come together and are more cohesive and find a way to put whatever it is is going on behind them and 
lock in for a short period of time. They could be the best team over a two-week period in the league. So I still think there are, they could. I don't think they will, but uh, I, I do think that it's down to four. Now, before we get off the NBL, well, uh, go ahead. I was going to say, if I was naive, if there was a stab that I make a team that could make a run, my fourth team would be the New Zealand Breakers. I've seen them I in think... person. I've seen them in person twice now. No, mm-hmm. I just think they've got another gear in them defensively that we haven't seen yet, and I think Lamb is as good of a player that we've got in the NBL. The problem is they're going to handbrake on the side of the court every time they get out in transition. We're, we're calling plays and slowing them down and micromanaging the team. So, I no, there are no. Um, hey, Brian Gorgian. Um, has come out and said he will coach domestically again. Now, I think people interpreted that as I'm going to coach in the NBL again. Now, we expect it to be in the NBL. But if he does come back, and let's assume for a second he will, where does he end up? Because Adelaide seemed to have been favourite and they've won three in a row and clearly they'll still go to market. Illawarra we've spoken about, they might not even go to market and I don't actually see Gorge going back there for a second time round. Uh, New Zealand was even mentioned when I was over in New Zealand. I don't see Gorge going across the Tasman. If Sydney crash and burn, if it goes the other way, is it more likely that Gorgian goes back to Sydney than it is Illawarra? And secondly, in another one, as we mentioned right off the top, the Southeast Melbourne Phoenix. Now, I don't think they'll replace Mike. I don't think they should replace Mike. And even if they decided to, I don't think Brian Gorgian would accept a job to take away from a guy that he coached and respects so highly. But where does Brian Gorgian end up in the NBL if he coaches next year? Yeah, I don't think he'll be in the NBL. Uh, but if he did the logical fit would be with the Sydney Kings for me. I know he loves it in Sydney. Obviously, he's got a rich history in Sydney as well. As a winning coach there, um, he left when uh, the Kings folded under the firepower regime. And um, it'd be awesome to see him back on the sidelines in Sydney because especially the way that Sydney is pumping at the moment and they're pulling great numbers at the game. Um, that being able to recruit that level of talent to Sydney and having that level of head coach in Sydney would be very exciting for the league. I agree. I think Sydney's top of the league. I think the only two places he could potentially end up if, and I agree with you, I don't think he'll be in the NBL. I think he'll be in Asia. Um, Sydney and Adelaide, they're the only two. Just, Just... I'll throw this out as a smoky. Since you said New Zealand had spoken about it, if the reports of New Zealand being relocated to the Gold Coast were to happen, then I could see a potential for Gorgian being a head coach of the... Of so, so, the so on that, that's not happening. Okay. The, the, the people, that's not happening. And there's, there's actually a lot of anger over there. Um, about the report. Now, I know Body Nodge well, and I know he wouldn't have written something like that without some very good information. And I also know that people within organisations historically have lied to protect sponsors, but they went in damage control. They had major sponsors calling. They had season members calling. They had partners. They had... So it was a big deal, and there was a week and a bit of damage control, which isn't exactly what you need to deal with when you're trying to fight your way back into a, a playoff spot. But I met the the, the chief commercial officer over there, um, absolutely unequivocally assure us that not only would they not relocate if to get rid of it, if he was going to get rid of it or if he couldn't afford the licence, he'd sell it and they would keep it in New Zealand. So he's not selling. Uh, that one, I believe, is incorrect. Um, let's move to the NBA, and, and we've, again, we haven't done this in a couple of weeks, so we've got a lot to cover. But um, 
Mate, probably the thing, the, the biggest one for me only happened, I think the, the story only came out today that Josh Kitty's got nothing to answer. And we probably said as much as we needed to say and we said we'd wait until the official findings came out before we commented. But I think that's, the, well, I know that's the only decision that could have been, that they could have come to. Uh, I don't like the terminology of all the reports that say the girl and her family were uncooperative. They didn't make a complaint in the first place. So it's not being uncooperative. It's, it's the police and a lot of resources being allocated to an allegation that hadn't had a complainant in the first place. And as we know, if you're to walk into a nightclub, and you're checking for ID, there's a reasonable assumption. It's reasonable to assume that everyone in there is 18 or older. And I think that's been the crux of this the whole way through. Um, from everything I know, anything that happened was consensual. I don't believe that there was a victim. And now my hope for Josh is that, and, you know, I heard Brian Gorgian mention that he squirmed every time with the way the crowd treated Josh at the game he went to, and we've both heard it. Um, Josh is a great kid. The Giddies are a great family. I'm glad that, or I hope that he can start putting this behind him, although with the way social media works, it's going to take a long time. Uh, but I'm happy that there's been this step. I think you've covered it all fairly well there. And I think the only thing we can say is um, we hope that Josh can get back to his best basketball. Um, but the level of trolls that there is online and the level of people who don't give a fuck about what their words would mean to someone um, probably means that Josh is going to have to put up with some shit for some years to come yet. But um as we always said, we'd wait until the final verdict. We know what it is now. We can move on from it and hopefully Josh can find some solace and, and uh, enjoy being back out in the basketball court. So let's talk some basketball, mate. Uh, as we record this today, uh, Pascal Siakam just got traded to Indiana for Bruce Bowen and three first-round draft picks. He was the highest priority or the highest profile player remaining uh, that was available for trade as far as we know. A lot of people wanted Pascal Siakam. It also emerged today that Indiana actually wanted Siakam and OG Ananobi, but of course we'll get to the Knicks getting OG in a minute. Uh, your thoughts on Siakam going to Indiana? Well, obviously Indiana get better straight away and uh, they must have an agreement in place knowing that he will he will uh, sign on for a max contract next year. You're not going to give someone three first-rounders for an expiring contract. So you would assume that he's staying in Indiana long-term. My concern with this is that Pascal didn't enjoy having a harder head coach in Nick Nurse in Toronto and now finds himself with Rick Carlisle, who uh, has a, 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 a toughness about him, an edge about him. So it'll be interesting to see how that relationship plays out. So honeymoon period right now, all looks great on paper. Indiana, who currently sit sixth in the East, I believe. Um, obviously, they get better automatically. Time will tell if this trade was worth it for them, though. Yeah, it's obviously the Raptors have told Siakam that he won't be getting his Supermax contract either. You know, he, he left a lot of money on the table. There was a lot of money left for him, although he may not have had a choice, of course, in the end. But he misses out on a potential Supermax. Indiana get better. And I think Toronto officially now, I mean, it's an interesting one. You'd argue they actually got a little bit better when they bought in quickly uh, and Barrett. And they've both been great. But they're in, this trade indicates they're in rebuild mode. Uh, the last trade with the Knicks uh, sort of gave you the hint that maybe they're going to try to stick around the middle, of the, the middle of the Eastern Conference and improve without bottoming out. 
but this kind of indicates when they've gone three first-round draft picks and Bruce Bowen, they're not going to get better. They're not going to stick around where they are. They're, they're likely, oh, yeah, you can't see them really being any more than a ninth or tenth seed in the first play-in series out, can you? No, no. I'd expect Toronto to move on Bruce Bowen as well because a contender would like someone like so a Bruce Bowen. So they've got an asset that they can trade. Yeah, I think you might be trade. right. Uh, the one we mentioned, RJ Barrett, Emmanuel quickly uh, went and well, they were traded for OG and Obi. That was one of those rare win win trades that, even on paper, as you looked at it, you thought it. I'm probably even stronger on that now, having seen evidence of it, that the Knicks are better with Ananobi. Uh, Emmanuel quickly and RJ Barrett are better in a system that's not the New York Knicks. Um, Barrett's had some really, really big games and, and quickly, or, or sorry, he's had big games already. And quickly for me, you know, being, uh, you know, having a, keeping a close eye on the Knicks now for a while. Given this opportunity now to be the starting point guard for a rebuilding team, is it too big a stretch to compare him to Tyrese Maxey? And to be on that fringe all all star NBA or all NBA is that one step too far for Emmanuel quickly? No, I was going to say the exact same words without even discussing it. I was like, this could be the perfect opportunity for him to step in exactly like Maxi did. Harden leaves, Maxi takes on the reins. They play at a different speed and tempo that suits the point guard. I think Emmanuel Quigley need to have a team of his own. He goes to Toronto. He, I, I think, like you said, it's a win-win for both clubs. And I think he he has the potential to get a fringe All-NBA. Um, maybe not this year, but next year. Um, and I've really enjoyed watching him and his numbers that he's been putting up in Toronto since moving there. Uh, I can't wait to see what he looks like in a couple of years, but I agree. I think he's an all-star at some stage in the next few years. Mate, the Lakers, they've been a mess. They've gone and won their last two games before we recorded this, so it probably doesn't quite have the impact it had. But 21 and 21, AD's been healthy. LeBron's been healthy. They haven't missed many games between them. Yeah, I I just sit back in a little bit like last year and – probably in, in fairness, a little bit like any team that LeBron's ever played for. You sit back around the trade deadline and you wonder who they'll bring in. But the team that they've got together now is a mess. Uh, they peaked for that in-tournament, the in-season tournament. And I, I think between them and Indiana, we see the impact that peaking for a tournament so early in the season has the potential to do to you. Uh, where every other team's just cruising along and you're coming off a high or a big moment and and not playing great in the weeks after. But the Lakers just haven't been anywhere near the team that they were in that in-season tournament. Um, I mean, how do you see them? Is it is it quite simply waiting to see if they can trade for another star? Or do we just forget about them almost start- like we did last year? I don't think a star helps them right now because um, you've got two dominant two dominant players that need the ball uh, in their hands a lot of the times. I mean, I like I like Austin Reeves with with those those two, uh, but then you think about the tradable assets that they have: a Rui Hachimura, a Gay Vincent. Um, a phone call uh, to say... <laughs> I'm in the office at the pub. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, but they've got assets that they can trade. I don't think they need to do anything anything crazy. Uh, this, this would be my wild... But, but, but you, wild but you have to. Like you, have to you have to try to win a championship while you've got LeBron. Yeah. I would be sending Gabe Vincent to Washington for Tyus Jones. Um, oh yeah, yeah, sure. I think that would be. I think some bringing someone that can look well, up. You get an actual point guard, and and can set up his team, which would make a lot of sense for me. 
Uh, D'Angelo Russell, I don't really like watching him play. Uh, Gabe Vincent has been injury prone and all that. And the Wizards want to tank. So whatever it is, get someone like a Tyus Jones, bring him in. Um, I think that can help. They've obviously got length on the perimeter, great, good defenders as well. They're just not uh, meshing well as a team. I think they're just it's just going to be another year where they fall in between, you know, five and eight and fizzle out of the playoffs. The Orlando Magic have struggled as well. Uh, they've won three of their last ten and they're still going to be a play-in team. Um, but it's really been highlighted that, highlighted that as teams start to understand what they do, they're great on the defensive end, but they really struggle to put points on the board. Um, even uh, Banchero, he's not a natural... I mean, he, he scores a lot, but it just you don't have the, the confidence that he will go for 35, even though he might. It's not a Devin Booker. It, it's not... You know, Steph Curry, it's someone that it, it's a battle to get those points. It's, they're a team, and again, I've, anyone who listens knows how high I am on the magic and how I'm continually patting myself on the back for saying that they'd make the playoffs. But I'd love to see them make a trade for a scorer to sacrifice a little bit of the defense, have a player, and it, I'm not suggesting it's Zach Levine, but say someone like Zach Levine, who can come in on any given night and give you 35 or 40, and the hope being that in the culture that surrounds him, he buys into the defense. Because I still think it's easier to develop a defender or to teach a non-scorer to defend than it is to teach a non-scorer to score. So I just think they need a little more top-end talent and the style of game that they play, the, the, the grit of the defensive end on the defensive end of the floor. I don't know. I still think they've got another level to go to this season. If they, but I'd love to see them make a trade and, and really take a swing at it. Would a Kyle Kuzma fit into that role? Maybe not positionally, because they've got they've got Franz Wagner, they've got Mo Wagner, they've got Banchero. I don't think they need another front court player. I think they need a back court player or a wing who can score. I think they need scoring in in those positions more than the front court. Yep. I, I, um, I definitely agree on the scoring aspect side of things. And it's always uh, with the younger teams, you're always going to have a bit of a roller coaster and a bit of a dip from time to time. Uh, it be interesting to see what Jamal Mosley does in the back end of once we get past the trade period, what their set roster looks like and how he's able to uh, push them to go forward. Very, very briefly, I enjoyed watching Jamarat come back. Uh, enjoyed the games he played and have enjoyed them battling again since he's now been ruled out for the season. But everything in me thinks that the Memphis Grizzlies realised that they were coming from too far behind this season. They got a glimpse at Jamarant back again. I thought, all right, we're fine. He's okay. We're going to give him some more time and we're going to go and get a really high draft pick instead of fighting our asses off to catch up 15 games to make the play-in and have no real chance. I think whatever they say, I think it's a strategic play. Uh, Steve Adams is out this year as well. I think they get the highest draft pick they can. They plummet down uh, the standings and they get as good a draft pick as possible and, and, and reload for next season. Is that how you see that? Well, they didn't have Jar, they didn't have Stephen Adams, they didn't have Desmond Bain, and they still beat the Warriors, which probably says more about the Warriors than the Grizzlies. But I didn't know that uh, Derek Dollingsworth was at Memphis as well, uh, looking after their players uh, because they've been rocked by injury as well. And you know what? You're probably right. Uh, get as high a draft pick as possible. Um, know that you've got the talent there going forward. Uh, to reload for next season. And, you know, unfortunately, it's going to be two, well, a year lost in an exciting career for Ja Morant, but it might also be for the best of the Grizzlies long term. And maybe for him long term as well. Uh, Mate, the last question I want to ask, uh, unless you've got any other NBA stuff to finish, but talent scouts, NBA teams, NBL teams, the sport gets so infatuated with young talent. Um, 
we draft 18 and 19 year olds and we, and we call them projects and we give them time. And then there's a, clearly, and there always will be a very strong argument that you might end up with a Garnett or a Kobe or, or, or a LeBron uh, that becomes generational. But at the same time, I've really enjoyed seeing the success of a couple of four-year college players who were drafted. And so Harmi Harquiz and, and, and Tracy Jackson Davis, who's uh, well, both of them having incredible seasons. And ironically, if uh, if Chet and if uh, Vic Wembenyama were, were to get injured and not reach those 65 games, Harquiz has been the third best rookie so far in the NBA by a long way. So I, I, I just got around to thinking about it, it's probably okay to let the colleges develop players, not be in a rush to sign guys who aren't ready. There are there are still a lot of first-round draft picks who get through their rookie contracts and the club never hears from again. I just think, especially as you get later in the first round, I, I've just loved seeing the strategy of picking three- and four-year college players, knowing that you get guys more physically mature, more mentally mature, and who still are proving that it's possible to be successful in the NBA if you weren't drafted through your first or second years of college. I don't know. It's just been something that I've enjoyed watching, and I love love watching Harkers play, and uh, Jackson Davis, especially over the last month, has been the other one who's leapfrogged a lot of guys who were drafted higher, came in with inverted commas higher potential, but just seems to be that rock solid guy that's uh, performing most consistently out of well, more so than a lot of the first round draft picks this year. I think it's no surprise that the Miami Heat are able to get a lottery pick or a late round first and turn him into someone who's been very special this year. I think, A, it's the talent and what they've been through. It's B, the the system and the organisation that they go into because whether you like it or not, not every NBA team, not every NBL team is built the same of how they develop young talent and uh, the situations that they put themselves into. Um for me, obviously, there's always the allure because you don't want to be known as the guy that missed out on the generational talent as a scout or or, or as the GM if you're making these selections. Um, but sometimes looking at people that do the four years in college or have a good background a la Luca when it came to all the accomplishments that he'd done in Europe that got overlooked by four other GMs that in, ahead of in, in, of the draft. Um, college isn't for everyone. Uh, staying at home isn't for everyone. Playing in Europe isn't for anyone. I think everyone's got their own unique style and, and thrive in their own environment. Um, and obviously there's so many different variables when it comes to trying to to find talent, spot talent, and acknowledge talent, and the really good ones get it right. And for the people like the Spurs organization, who's been able to do it for years, Miami now for a good period of time, I think Boston is really good at identifying talent. Um, there's a lot of other teams out there that would love to have people in their front office that are able to make those sorts of decisions for them. Mate, that's all I've got. It's uh, I agree with all of that. It's it's been a big episode. We're an hour in. Um, we'll get back to our regular weekly scheduling now. Uh, getting to the pointy end of the NBL season, getting towards the All Star game in the NBA, getting towards the trade the trade deadline in the NBA. Lots to talk about. Uh, to everyone, thanks again for tuning back in. Please like, subscribe, all those sort of things that everyone in the world asks you to do, but it does mean a lot to us. Uh, We're starting to learn the back end of this and the more reviews, the more five-star reviews, uh, the more shares, the more listens, all those sort of things. Uh, We'd be very grateful. Were though, again, congratulations on your wedding, mate. It was an incredible trip. We can't wait to get back over to South, Southern Western Australia. We shall chat to you in a week or so. Thanks, mate. Knock, knock.